to the Old Testament 1 Samuel. Uh, before I pray, um, I want to pray for some of our young people. Um, and, um, one of our young ladies, uh, Gillian, um, she's over in, what country is she? She's in Korea uh, for quite a while. She's a university student and she's there for a language exchange for a while. Um, my son Joseph is going to university as well um, tomorrow. Um, Easter holidays are over and a number of other uh, parents are seeing their children go to uni. So we want to bring them before God in prayer as well. So let's just bow before the Lord and pray for them. Father in heaven, just want to pray, God, that you will watch over our young people as they um, go to university, as they travel. God, we ask that you will be with them, that you will guide and protect them. Lord, we don't take it for granted that they are away from the family home, Lord, and they are amongst others. I pray that you will just watch over them, Lord, and have your hand uh, upon them. Father, think of Gillian, Lord, as she's in Korea. Pray again, Lord, that you will just bless her and protect her and guide her, Lord, while she's in that, that foreign land. And gracious God, we pray for ourselves now that as we open your word, we do pray that you will help us, Lord. Father, we have nothing in and of ourselves. Our understanding is weak and feeble, Lord, but we pray, God, that you will just draw near to us and give us the understanding that we need. Fill us with your spirit, O oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've entitled been, I've been this message, Choosing a King. And um, we don't get to choose a king in this country. Um, we get to uh, choose a political party, whether that's uh, conservative or, or labor. And currently now, um, Theresa May has called a general election. I think she wants to destroy Jeremy Cobin at this time. And so we get to choose a party, um, but we don't get to choose a king. But when you go back into the Old Testament, or get back to the Bible, we, we have seen that in the Bible, I, I preached a sermon a few weeks ago about Jesus being the king of the Jews. And um, all that, that, what that meant, the question we need to ask ourselves is, where did it all go wrong for the Jewish people? Where did it all go wrong? That's a very important question. You see, God formed Israel. God formed uh, the Jewish nation for himself. He brought them out of Egypt and he gave them judges, men who will lead them and guide them. And the last of these judges, last of them, was a man called Samuel. Samuel was a man who loved God. Samuel was a man who feared God. Samuel was a man who heard from God constantly. But a question we need to ask ourselves is what went wrong? And so we go into our, our Bibles, into the Old Testament, and uh, the first thing I want to talk about is an example. See, Samuel was blessed to have children. We read that he had two boys. It must have been a wonderful day in Samuel's house when his first boy, 
first boy was born, Joel, and then his second son came along. There must have been great joy in Samuel's house when his two boys were born. Not only that, we, we imagine that Samuel, being a, a godly man, being a, a man who loved God, would have taken his sons and presented them to the Lord, praying that God will bless his children, praying that God's spirit will be upon his children, praying that God will use his children. That must have been a wonderful day when those boys were born. And isn't that a desire of every Christian parent? Every Christian parent would, would want their children to be blessed by God. Every Christian parent would want their children to you know, be loved by God and to have God's blessing upon their lives. So often, you know, parents might turn around and say, oh, I want my child to be a doctor, or I want him to be a lawyer, or I want him to um, become an actor or a singer and to appear on TV, and we think these things about our children. But really, the most important thing is that they love God. That's the most important thing. And so Samuel having his boys growing up in his household and seeing them Come strong and, and big, you know, he must have been praying that God will bless those lovely children of his. But what do we read? Let's see what the Bible says. It says this. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Bathsheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Bible says that these two lovely boys he changed their nappies. Maybe he didn't change their nappies back in those days, but you know what I'm saying. Played with them on the swings. Take them to the park. And as they grew up and grew older, and they was watching his father come in and out of ministry and, and serving God and seeing their father praying and seeing their father preaching, and they looking at their father, they too got old enough to become leaders like their dad. But we read that these boys did not walk in the ways of their father. Instead, they were wicked, sinful, corrupt, after dishonest gain, perverting the course of justice. They were wicked men. What does this tell you? Well, it tells you this. God wants young people to know this. Not just the young people, but all of us. That God will deal with you independently from your parents. Doesn't matter how old you are, you could be young, teenagers sitting in front of me right here, or yourselves. I mean, I've met um, Jill Hawkins' mother who was an elderly lady, 
and she was a godly woman. Wonderful Christian lady. It was wonderful to meet her before she died. But it's not her faith that will bring Jill and her husband through into the kingdom. God will deal with you individually. God will deal with you one by one. He doesn't go about family. He doesn't save you because your father has been saved or because your mother is committed to Christ. No, 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 no. These things does not matter according to God. He will deal with you on your own. One by one. These young men, listen, these young men walk wickedly. Even in the house of God, they were walking as wicked men. And who do we lay the blame at? Well, we can lay the blame in many different ways. I will, today, when I look at society, sometimes I want to blame the church. You see, we live in a society where family are broken. Society is broken. You know, back in the day when a, a, a mother had a child that she didn't want to keep and she wanted to abandon, she would take the child and where she would take it, she would leave it at the door of the church and leave it there and walk away. And maybe she would hide somewhere and, and see that the church open its doors and take in this child. That's what used to happen hundreds of years ago. But now social services are looking after abandoned children. But now what we have today is young people being spiritually abandoned. Young people being neglected, being, broke, being brought up in broken homes and they come to the church and it's the church's responsibility to look at those broken young men and broken young women and to be examples, spiritual, godly examples to them. So when a young man comes into church, he comes from a broken home, he comes from a place where maybe his family is broken down and he comes into a church, he needs to see godly men in the house of God. Praising the Lord and praying. Not men who will open their mouth in praise and then when they get into the car park, their mouth is full of bitterness and cursing. Don't need to see that. They need to see men in the church who are being men of Christ. Not only that, how about our young girls? Women need to be Taking a lead. How many women do we see taking a young girl aside and talking to, to her about sex? Talking to her about modesty? Talking to her about dress? How many young women take a young girl aside and pray with them? Let me pray with you. Let me spend time. Instead, what would we find women doing with young girls? Let's go to Costa Coffee and after that, I'll take her to the makeup counter. See how much makeup you can buy. That's our church society. That's where we are living today, where we see the things of, 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 of Christ not very valuable. But this is what was happening here in this situation. We find that these two men are walking in a way 
that displease God. And our society is just like that today. Well, the first thing that must be done, if we ask a question, what must be done? Okay, you're right, Jerry. You're right. I see our society. You know, I see um, um, broken homes. I see children, men and women. They, they, you know, they're coming to church. You know, but what must be done? Well, the first thing that must be done is to understand what I said before. To understand that God is going to deal with you as an individual, one by one. Now, we all know how that all works. You know, you go into the underground. You can't take your family through a turnstile. You have one ticket, an adult ticket. You scan it through, and that will admit you and you alone. You go on the buses now, and you can't just take your whole family into the bus one all together. No, they all have a ticket, and everyone must scan their Oyster card one at a time in order to get into the bus. The same way God deals with people today, he deals with them one by one. If you don't think I'm speaking the Bible, look what it says in Ezekiel, chapter 18. Yet you ask, why does the son not share the guilt of his father? Since the son has done what is just and right, and has been careful to keep all my decrees, he will surely live. The one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent, nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, to, will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. It is imperative that you know Christ. It is imperative that you are right with God. It is imperative that you know that your sins are forgiven. That is a must. Absolutely imperative that once you know that God has dealt with you, has forgiven you, has cleansed you, that is so important. That is where we must start. And once you have started there, then you can turn and help somebody else. Once your feet are on firm ground, then you can put your hand down and help someone else. Not necessarily a parent to the child, but it could even be a child to the parent. Once your feet are on solid ground. When I was, um, when my children was growing up, I used to love reading them different stories. And one of my favorite stories was um, Roald Dahl's story called um, Danny, Champion of the World. And I used to listen to that and read it, even though the children were interested. But there was a time in that book, in that story, when the father, he goes out uh, poaching pheasants. That's a nice word for stealing. And he went out stealing into someone else's field. And when he goes out stealing into the field, he falls down a, a man-made hole that he couldn't get out of. And Danny, who was only about 10 years old, got into his father's car and drove the car into the forest where his dad was trying to steal pheasants. 
And when he got out of the car, he went around looking for his father, calling his dad out, and then he heard his dad saying, Danny, Danny, I'm here. He got there, and there was his father, stuck down a hole, couldn't get out, broken his leg or something, and Danny had to get a rope and tie it to his father and bring his dad up. Why? Because Danny was on solid ground. He wasn't down on a hole. He was on solid ground, and now he was able to help his own father out of that hole. I want to tell you, you need to be on solid ground. You need to know your sins forgiven. You need to know your relationship with God is close before you can reach down and help a son, a daughter, or before you can reach up and help a father or a mother. You need to be standing solid on Christ. That's it. That's how we can move our society forward. Broken children, broken parents who are in a ditch and they need you who know Christ. So my question to you this morning, are you on solid ground? Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Are you relying on your parents' faith? Oh, my father's a good man. I rely upon him. If he gets in, I'm getting in. No, 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 no. If he gets in, it does not necessarily mean you will enter into the kingdom of God. One by one, Samuel must have looked back and seen his children. His heart must have been broken. He must have looked at his boys and thought, oh, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm a prophet. I'm a leader of Israel. And he looked back, and there are his sons. He couldn't save them. He couldn't get them into the kingdom. Nothing he could do can make them enter into eternal life. They have to be dealt with by God by themselves. And that must have broken his heart as a parent. And so we, we see that in Samuel and things are going wrong for him in his old age. I wonder why. When I look out today and I ask myself, why would parents turn around and, and say, why, is my, why aren't my children in church? Why aren't my children following Christ? I'm an old man now. Why aren't they seeking God? Maybe it's because we have put other things before Christ ourselves. And all they're doing is doing what we are doing. But let me move on. An example. May you be an example to follow. Let's go on to this request. So we have this problem in Israel. Samuel is old. His two sons are wicked. And so the people come to Samuel with a, crest, with a request that deeply troubled him. What was the request? Here they come. They come with this request. So all the elders of Israel gathered together, came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now, appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations now listen carefully to these men. Having a king is not a problem. But listen what they said. 
appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. Their problem was this. They hated being different. They didn't like the idea that when they look around, others were not the same. They were not the same as others. And they looked around and they wanted to be like the other nations. Do you see that? They looked around and they said, look at these nations, Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and, and, and look at these other nations. They all have kings and we don't. We want to be like them. That's what they were saying. That's what they were saying. God had called them out to be different, but they didn't want to be different. To show them that there are a people under God, but they didn't want to be under God. They wanted to be the same as everybody else. That's what the request was. Are we not faced with the same dilemma today? There's nothing good in the world. Nothing good. You look around and there is discontentment in the world. There's unhappiness in the world. There's greed, selfishness, rudeness, arrogance, boasting. There's so much wickedness in the world. And what do we want to be like? We want to be like the world. That's what the church is like. The church looks out and they turn around and say, we know, we want to be like the world. Listen, the world has embraced so much, hasn't it? Same-sex marriage, the world's embraced that. Sex changes, if you're born a boy, you can change it to a girl, don't worry about that. The world's embraced that. The world's embraced cross-dressing, the world's embrace. The whole LGTB, XYZ, LMNOP. The world has embraced the whole package. Now, even by me saying that, someone could be sitting here in the congregation and say, oh, you can't be saying that. I'm going to report you to somebody, somebody I can report you to. Even saying that, that the world has embraced everything that is contrary to God's word. So what does the church do? Does the church stand up and say, no, stop. Does the church stand up and say, we can't have that. That's against God's word. Does the church stand up and say, the Lord says, no. The church does not say that. Instead, the church sits down and say, how can we be like them? How can we embrace what the world has embraced? You know, you see a man push over an old lady, steal her handbag and run off. You don't say, that's a good idea. When the next old lady walks past, I'm going to push her over and grab her handbag. Why not? It's right for him. He did. Why can't you do it? the same thing as well. The reason why, because you know it is wrong. You can't push over old ladies, take their handbags and run off down the road. No, it's wrong. And yet we think and we see on TV two men kissing in Coronation Street or, or in Brooks, not Brookside, that's gone. Um, 
You know I don't watch these programs. But you see it happening on our TV screen and you say, oh, well, you know, they are doing it, so it's okay for us to go out and do the same thing. No, what is wrong there is wrong over there. That is it. It is wrong. But because the church wants to embrace everything the world embraces, because the church wants to say, we don't want to be different. We don't want to be narrow-minded. We want to be considered to be broad-minded. I'm going to tell you, the only broad way is a way that leads to destruction. And many are on that broad road. Oh, the narrow way. Oh, we don't want to be narrow, says the church. And because the church doesn't want to be narrow, it embraces what the world embraces. Look what the Bible says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. That's it. That's the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's what you find. And the church is saying, oh, we want that. If you have that, you will perish with that. The world is not getting better. Some people say, how can we make the world better? The world's not getting better. The world is unredeemable. The world is getting worse. You know what has to happen? God needs to create a new heaven and a new earth. He's not going to renew this one. He's not going to say, oh, I can polish it up a little bit. Oh, I can do a little bit of work here and it will be brand new. No, God says that is completely finished. It's got to be destroyed. I need to create a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness will dwell. There's no hope for this earth, for this society. The only hope we find is in Christ. Do you remember old Noah? Noah built his ark. If you're outside the ark, there was no hope outside the ark. The only hope in that day was whether you are in Noah's ark. That was the only hope. And today, the only hope now is whether you are in Christ. Outside of Christ, there's no hope. But if you are in Christ, my dear friends, there you will find the hope of all eternity. And so we have the situation in Israel. These men, these Jews, wanted to be like the other nations. They didn't want to be different. They didn't want to be separated. They didn't want to have to be stand out. They wanted to be the same as everyone else. And so they said to Samuel, give us a king. Give us a king. That we might be like all the rest. Well, let's close with this last point here, a choice. 
Now, God was very clear. He says this in 1 Samuel 8. And the Lord told them, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. That's what they've done. They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me. Now, what has God done? You would have thought God was a tyrant, that God was an evil master, that God was hard to serve. And so, therefore, they say, we can't serve this God. He's too much. He's too hard. His way is too narrow. We can't serve him. We want a new king. Maybe they said that. But what did God do? Look what the Bible says, what God does. The Lord your God who's going, going before you, he will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way until you reach this place. That's what God has done for these people. He's carried them. He's taken them out from bondage and slavery, from the whip of the master, and out of that, and he carried them for 40 years in the wilderness, provided for them, fed them, led them, guided them, loved them. That's what he did. And because he did all of that, they turned around and said, we don't want him. How foolish. Hold on. You mean to tell me you're rejecting the one who brought you out of slavery? Yes. You mean to tell me you're rejecting the one who defeated Pharaoh and all of his armies? Yes. You mean to tell me you're rejecting the one who gave you manna from heaven and water from the rock? Yes. Rejected him. We want a fleshly king. What happened around the cross? When Jesus died on the cross? Well, we see these words, don't we? Very sad words. But they shout, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. You mean to tell me you're rejecting the person who's dying for your sins? Yes. You mean to tell me you're rejecting the person who loved you and cared for you so much so that he laid down his life for you? Yes. You mean to tell me you're rejecting the only way to the kingdom of God, the way, the truth, and the life? You mean to tell me you're rejecting him? Yes, yes, yes. We don't want him. Way with him. We want a fleshly king. I need to ask you this morning. Who is your king? Who is your king? Ah, you may say to me, ah, my king, I'm a Christian. My king is Jesus. But I want to tell you so often, even though 
people in the church say that, they often follow a fleshly king. And that king is called themselves. And whatever the flesh wants to do, whatever the flesh wants in that life, then it has it. That's the king. With our lips, we can say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But our hearts can sometimes be far from him. They have done what the people of Israel have done in our time. That's what we're doing. We are doing what the people around the cross done 2,000 years ago. And then before then, there were the Jews over there in the Old Testament. What they were doing, they were saying, oh, you see this king? We don't want him. Today, we have the same problem. Not necessarily in Golding's church, but in the church generally, we have the same problem. Men and women who are willing to turn around and say, we do not want him as king. But true joy, and hear me as I finish, true joy, true satisfaction, is when a Christian can turn around and say with Thomas, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. This was Thomas. Thomas who doubted. Thomas who was fearful. Thomas who was by a, in a locked closed room, Thomas after seeing Christ cried out my Lord and my God. That's the Christian that we need today. That's the man that we need today. That's the woman that we need in the church today. Someone who will turn around and say to the flesh, flesh you are not king. You are not God. There's only one king and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone needs to speak to themselves this morning. Someone needs to talk to themselves this morning. Someone needs to say, self, get down. Get off that throne. You don't belong there. There's one king. And he must take preeminence in my life. Someone needs to speak today. Why is this so? Because when you make God king, he carries you. All the days of your life. When you make God king, he fights for you. Every battle you have, every stress you have, every worry you have, who will come against that? God himself. I'd rather have God in my corner than a fleshly king. I'd rather have God living, reigning in me instead of having my flesh reigning and living in me. That flesh must die, but God must be king. That's where it went wrong. You know, when something goes wrong in your life, sometimes you need to go back to where it went wrong. Maybe a friendship has broken down. Maybe a marriage has broken down. Maybe something's gone wrong in your life, and you wonder, where did it go wrong? And you need to trace it all back to where it went wrong, and there you will find it. Well, something went wrong in Israel. What went wrong? Let's chase it all back into the Old Testament. When we come back, 
we find that they rejected God as king. Now, if you don't want to make that same mistake, you need to do what I have done and what many other people have done. You need to chase it all the way back and say, oh God, I'm coming back to you this morning. Now I'm saying, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for looking away from you. Forgive me for embracing the world and saying, world, I want to be like you. Instead of saying, oh God, I want to be like you. You know, I've been watching um, a lot of NBA basketball, um, NBA National Basketball Association. It's the um, playoffs in America. I've been watching a lot of basketball, but I'm shocked to see all these tall, lanky black players with tattoos everywhere. Tattoos around their neck, tattoos on their faces. If I come next week with a tattoo on my face, you know what I've been doing. I've been watching too much basketball. And I'm saying, oh man, that's a good tattoo on that head. I'm going to get one myself. You know what I'm saying? If you watch 16 hours a day of television, if you give yourself to 16 hours of reading the magazines that they sell in Tesco's or in the newsstands, if you give yourself to 16 hours of watching the, 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 the iPad or the iPhone or the WhatsApp or the, 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 the messaging, whatever it is, you give yourself 16 hours of that, you will walk away becoming like that. But if you give yourself a few moments to look at Christ, sometimes it's only one word he needs in your life. But if you give yourself more to look at Christ, guess what? You will become more like him. That's it. I'm giving you a tool this morning. When you get home, you can pull it out any time, that tool, and say, ah, I want to look at Christ. Well, why? Because I don't want to be like the world. I want to be like him. How can I be like him? Ah, this is the question. This is the answer. By looking towards him. And as you look, you will be transformed. You will be changed. You will become more like Christ. Put down, put down the TV remote. Don't buy the TV quick and underline all the things you want to watch throughout the week. Don't need to do that. Ah, underline your Bible. Underline it. Spend some time thinking about the things of God and you will be changed. And you will say to the flesh, get down flesh. There's only one king. And that is Christ. He's my king. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you, oh God, for the opportunity. As Grant said earlier on, you have brought us here. God, we could have been in any place else, Lord, listening to the wisdom of the world. But today we are here listening to the wisdom that comes from your word. Thank you, oh God. Thank you. And my prayer is, Lord, 
Oh God, my prayer is that you will transform and change us. That we will be not like the main man there cross Jesus. We won't be like those in Samuel's day. No, Lord. Those who turn around and said, give us a king. We don't want Jesus as our king. We don't want to be like that. No, Lord. But our desire, oh God, is to make Jesus our Lord. And like Thomas said, my Lord and my God. May that be our prayer, Lord. May that be the word that flow from our lips today, oh God. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's stand, shall we?